Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. As you're there, also place yourself in your mind's eye in a room full of people, much more than are in this room right now. Everybody is sitting in anticipation. There's a little murmur because people are talking about a particular controversial figure. Some of the highest uh, ranking people in government and in religion and in the church were present in this meeting. Some of the most notable people were in this meeting in all of the world at that time in history. And in walks the man of the hour. This time when they see him, he is relaxed, he is resolved, he is calm. He is almost somewhat of a celebrity figure in those days and times. And when he walks in, he comes to the center, if you will, of the stage. And they begin to say and repeat what they said to him just the night before, before they put him back in jail. They say to him, you have one choice. Do you recant, I paraphrase of what you have preached and what you have taught. And in a similar paraphrase, I will simply summarize what in essence he said. He looked at some of the highest powers in his day, people that if you stood before them, if you were not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you were not led by Jesus Christ, you would have been terrified. You know that these people, based on your response, could have you killed immediately. But he looks at them and with confidence that can only come from God, here's the word, with boldness, he stares them in the face and he says, I cannot, I will not recant. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, God help me. I speak of none other than Martin Luther, who launched the Protestant Reformation within the Christian church that led a movement of people out of a system that was unjustly oppressing people, in addition, proclaiming things that were not uh, uh, coming from the Word of God as its sole authority. And so there now launches a movement that's flowing out of a long history of the Christian movement. And when I think of that story, my wife and I compare two films that tell this story because next month, October 31st, hopefully you're going to be remembering this and not Halloween, amen? And so next month, October 31st, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his famous 95 Theses, protesting against the injustices and some of the theological inaccuracies of the Mother Church at the time. And so we reach 500 years since. We now, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, fall in line in the flow of this movement of Protestantism, of Reformation. But what strikes me is my wife and I sometimes watch these two films that depict this story of Martin Luther. One that I argue is a little bit better. And uh, she says no. 
And then the other she particularly likes, I like the old 1953 version of this film, and she likes the, 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 the what was it, 2000, one of the 2000s, 2011 or 10 or something like that. And in one, uh, I find the guy to be very compelling. He demonstrates what we're talking about today. He was bold in face of opposition to the gospel. But Deidre likes uh, uh, the, the more recent film where when he says what I just shared with you, he kind of says it like, you know, it's neither right nor safe. Here I stand. You know, to me, that does not speak to, like, boldness in Jesus Christ, amen? Well, there's another controversial figure. There's another kind of voice of a movement that we find in Acts chapter 4. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 3, he's been preaching. This guy just can't, can't shut up in the beginning of the book of Acts, right? On, in Acts chapter 2, he stands up and he preaches boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit again. And 3,000 men, women included, so women and children included, you may want to call it about maybe 15,000 people come to Jesus Christ and immediately launch the, the, uh, the, the early church. And here he is again. He's preaching again in Acts chapter 3. You cannot shut this guy up in the beginning of the narrative in the book of Acts. This is none other than Peter, the apostle. You see, when we first meet Peter, or I shouldn't say when we first meet him, towards the latter end of the gospel stories, we find a different kind of Peter. Right? We see a Peter that has now been broken. He's been humbled. He is humiliated because he denied Jesus Christ at a moment when Christ needed someone to stand with him. But he denied Jesus, even with cursing, three times, and then Jesus, so graciously as he's done, hopefully for that we've all experienced this, he forgave him and he restored him and he recommissioned him. And now we encounter, as we dive into the story here, a totally different Peter. This Peter is not cowering in fear. This Peter is not worried about what the religious leaders and, and the authorities of the day are going to think about what he is sharing, about what he is saying. As a matter of fact, when we initially see him in Acts chapter 4, it is right on the heels of God working a powerful miracle through him that caused a guy that was lame for approximately 40 or 42 years to get up and walk. And that was what God used to eventually gather a crowd of people that Peter is now preaching to relentlessly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He cannot stop talking about Jesus. And so we read that, G that, 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 that Peter is eventually, through his preaching, he arouses opposition. How many of you know that when you boldly share Jesus Christ, it begins to arouse opposition? And they have him arrested and put in jail. And then they bring him out the next day, Caiaphas, Ananias, the Sanhedrin, and many of the officials there in Jerusalem. By the way, just a few months later, or a few months earlier, rather, same people, same type of scenario, but it was Jesus who was on trial. So Peter, as he's being brought before the Sanhedrin, this is... This is feeling awfully familiar to the narrative that he already knows about his, he already knows about his Savior. But this Peter, I love it, oh, is filled with the Holy Ghost. He is filled with the Spirit of God. 
And as they bring him, <laughs> Lord, I love this. As they bring him before them, as they begin to question him, I just love how God sometimes just kind of sets up the opportunity for you. You don't even have to like try to witness if you really just stop to think about it, especially if you look in, in the scriptures. Like God is already setting you up for it, right? Look at the question that they ask him. It is in verse Verse number, oh, I love it. Verse number seven. Look at verse number seven. Acts chapter four, verse number seven. They're questioning him, right? They're expecting this Peter who they before knew denied deny Jesus Christ to be afraid and to be cowering, right? But look what they ask Peter in verse seven. They say, and when they had set them, set him, that's him and John, the apostle John, in the midst, they asked him, look what they asked him, by what power and by what name have you done this? Speaking of his preaching. Come on. <laughs> really? That's the question you're going to ask Peter, who is filled with the Holy Ghost, who has already seen masses of people come to Jesus as a result of this bold preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. You're going to ask him, really, by what? You didn't just even say what name. Our Lord needs to hold me today. He didn't just say what name, he said by what power. They witnessed something, they saw something, this thing had impact. By what power have you done this? By what name have you done this? Obviously they linked the two. And Peter does not waste the opportunity. Please don't waste the opportunity because God, by the way, I'm just throwing this in a little early, is giving you the same opportunity every week, many times every day. It's not like the harvest is not there. It is surrounding you all the time. It's just that God needs to kind of wake us up. I'm just going to be honest, folks. He needs to wake me up many times. The opportunities are there. He set the opportunity up. It's kind of like, Peter, here's your opportunity. They just asked you by what power, by what name. Release the hound. Go ahead. Look at Peter. I love this. Look at, look, look at what he says now. Beginning in verse 8. I love this. And, 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 and as Luke, the doctor, the only, I think, Gentile, I think he's the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible, he says this about Peter. And look how he even begins in verse 8. And he says, then Peter, then Peter what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you seeing a theme here? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So he's being respectful, right? But he knows who he's talking to. He says, if this day, if this day, uh, we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he was made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, that's the hood, by the way, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone. He starts quoting scripture to these theologians. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor, and if you did not get it, he says this, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, period. Who does this man think he is speaking to us that way? He even began by acknowledging my title, my degrees, 
my position and status in society and in the church. But then he has the audacity to even put the blame uh, whom you crucified, he said. That's boldness. You crucified him, but there is no other name. By which, by the way, Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin, you must be saved. It's there's no other name but this name. Family, I believe in the times that we are living in right now, Jesus calls, I'm going to speak to my family who I love, Jesus calls you to boldness. Jesus calls you to a loving boldness, but he calls you to boldness. And particularly in the times that we're living in, boldness to share the name of Jesus. Boldness to share the name of Jesus. By the way, did you know that the actual name Jesus actually describes the mission of Christ? You see, in the Old Testament, the name Jesus is also referred to as Joshua, right? So Greek in the New Testament for Joshua is Jesus, or as, as, as you know, my, my, my mother is from Cuba, and so I'm, I, I, with Andrea and her mom, I, I would say, you know, you guys got to keep me on my toes with my Spanish, right? So I'm still, Jesus, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just, just brush me up. But he says, uh, but, 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 but that name actually means Yahweh or the Lord saves. The name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. The very name of Jesus tells you his heart for you. He has come into this world to save you. That's, that's, that's what the whole story, the narrative of the Bible is all about. A God who is passionately seeking his children, who he has lost, have been kidnapped by the enemy, and he has come to set up his kingdom to restore everyone that has been lost. And this moves me because this moved the very heart of Martin Luther. Martin Luther could not be quiet. I love it in the movie where it shows him when he goes to Rome and he sees some of the abuses and the inaccuracies of theology. And he comes back, and there is a different Luther when he comes back. This time he realizes that indulgences are unbiblical and are actually charging people for salvation. And he says, absolutely not. When I read the book of Romans, there is no other name. Under, under heaven, by which men may be saved. It is Christ alone. It is the Bible alone. It is by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. It's the solas of the Protestant Reformation. You could not shut Martin Luther up. He nails 95 theses explaining further not only the abuses of the church, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we look at these towering figures in our faith. We think of the founders even of our church. We think of, we think of Peter. We think of Paul. And we think of Martin Luther. And we say, oh, these are just these giant figures of the faith. And by God's grace, yes, they are. But guess what? They really, honestly, if you really just kind of went back to the time in which they lived, they were pretty normal people, just like you and me, that God tapped on the shoulder said, hey, by the way, I love you. I have redeemed you in Jesus Christ. And I have an amazing plan for you. And filled with the Holy Spirit, they did amazing things. Family, that's no different than us here today. When you have an encounter with the living Christ, you cannot be quiet. I've tried it, actually. It doesn't work. He's just, you know, it's like making me be quiet about how much I love my wife or my son. I mean, I, you just can't shut me up. You see, so when you're in Christ, you cannot help but proclaim the only name that saves. It just flows out of you naturally. 
Sometimes when we think about preachers, we think about what Pastor CJ is doing right now. We say, oh, you know, you, you're called to preach. You're called, you know, when the Gospel Commission, I love this. Lord have mercy. When I talk about this, I talk about this like all the time. We often think that the Gospel Commission is for pastors or evangelists. But he spoke to not only the 12 apostles, he spoke to 500 witnesses there on, Mount, on the Mount of Olives. And he said to all of them, and they, by the way, there were male and females there, disciples of Jesus Christ, speaking to them, but through them to us. And he says, go and make disciples. When you combine that text with some of the other uh, gospel commission texts, he says, preach or teach and baptize, right? And make disciples. He did not say pastors make disciples. He did not say evangelists and teachers make disciples. He said, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your purpose is to glorify me in your life and live in such a way that is attractive to others that draws them to Jesus so that you can reveal Jesus to them and thus make them what you are, a follower of Jesus Christ. We are not excused from preaching the gospel. I may preach in this context, but you preach as an attorney. When they see Jesus in you at the job, when you're on campus at your school, they look and they say, oh, being around you needs to be what it means to be in the presence of Christ. I read just this morning when I was reading in um, 2 Corinthians chapter, it was a chapter 2, and it says that we are the fragrance of Christ. That wherever we go, just the aroma of Jesus just should just permeate the atmosphere. So you preach through how you live and how you interact with people and how you love people and how you serve based on your gifts, skills, and, and abilities that the Spirit gives you in the context of church or in your job. But it's to create opportunities just to share Jesus. I say tell your story with Jesus before you tell his story. Because your story is the living word before them. And then you tell them the written word. But Peter can't be quiet. You see, Peter is preaching from a particular place. Again, we often think that Peter is just so special. I am not Peter. I am not Paul. But look at what happens here. I, I love this again. You know, it's amazing how Luke writes this. You can just feel the drama. Verse 13. Peter has just gotten through speaking boldly to them about Jesus. And then it says, now when they saw the what? The boldness, you see that word over and over again in this chapter. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. By the way, untrained, unlearned, uneducated meant that they didn't go to their schools, the schools of the rabbis. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to Andrews University. They weren't at Southern as a theology major, but they did go to seminary. It was three and a half years with Jesus. I just don't think there's a better seminary than that. And that's not to discredit. I went to seminary, amen? But that's secondary to what they experienced. And when they saw that, it says they marveled, and here it is, and they realized, they, they, they perceived that they had been with Jesus. Woo! See, they... <laughs> They, they already knew what it meant for someone who had already been with Jesus versus someone who had not. You know, there's a lot of people that, God forbid, but may even attend our services from week to week. And it may, there may be a tendency to assume that everybody here has been with Jesus throughout the week. 
Just this week, I, I, I remember there was one week I, I had not had a quality experience in the morning because I was just, I was, I was tired, I didn't get much sleep, and in the morning I had a whole lot of stuff pressing on me, and I did this kind of a short kind of drive-by thing with Jesus, right? And I could feel it throughout the day. This is not just an intellectual thing, family. You can sometimes feel a disconnection. Just wasn't flowing. And imagine you're trying to do the work of God without feeling connected. And I knew there was a difference. I did the, 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 the energy, the, the focus, the, and by the way, I didn't also take my sleep medication, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> so that combination was just bad. And oh my goodness, I was irritable. Things that normally wouldn't annoy me would have been just sort of, you know, water off the back. This was bothering me. I had not been with Jesus. They could see that they had been with Jesus. And this is where the boldness was coming from. They were not being rude. They were speaking truth to power. We need people today that will speak truth to power. But they had a boldness that came from the Holy Ghost. They spoke. As a matter of fact, I love what it says here a little bit later on. When they're asking them, you know, listen... We, we, we can't even deny that, that, that a healing took place in the name of Jesus. Because, look, somebody's life has just been changed. Oh, this gets me excited. I don't have time. Someone's life has just been changed because they have been with Jesus. You see, um, I love talking with atheists because I've discovered that apologetics don't, does not work unless you bring them to the love of God revealed in Christ. I can make a logical case. I can show you all kinds of evidence, right, as to why God why you should consider the existence of God or why you should consider the Bible as authoritative, right? I can, I can go through all the logical exercises, but at the end of the day, if I personally don't have a living connection with Christ and if I don't bring you to that place of coming to see the love of God in Christ, hopefully through how I'm interacting with you, it's probably best I just shut up because they're going to be turned off. See, it's better to be loving than to be right. You need to be right, hopefully, in Christ. But it's more important to be loving, or they'll be turned off. They, you would have maybe possibly won an argument but lost a soul. As, 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 as Peter and John are talking, they, a little bit later on, they say, we have to obey God rather than man. Look, you know, I, I understand that you are the, look, the Sanhedrin was like the both religious and governing body. Hello, somebody. And they said, we still have to, look, we, the Bible teaches in Romans, we need to respect our authority uh, uh, figures and so forth, right? We need to love even our enemies, amen? Oh, but Jesus and the apostles and the early church, they often, through the Holy Spirit leading them, had to speak truth to power. They had to say, this is wrong. This is right. This is not just. They didn't pick up arms. Because Jesus didn't demonstrate that in his life and ministry. But they did speak up the truth as it is in Christ. And they spoke up for the least of these. We need to do the same. They did not hesitate to speak truth to power. But also, I love this, when it's all over, they could not deny that their impact had an actual impact on someone's life. Someone got healed. When you actually are living that life in Christ, the atheist or the agnostic cannot deny that you say, I have peace. Look, there, there are Christians in the islands right now, and there are some of them that have lost everything. I've heard that 60% of the people in Barbuda are homeless. 90% of the island is destroyed and uninhabitable. 
But I know even hearing the uh, prime minister still thanking God that there was one life that was lost, unfortunately, but they expected much more. You see? And so God, as he's, as he's there with some people that may be on one of those islands that are Christian, they may go, look, I, I, I've lost everything. But man, God is still good. I'm alive. I can replace property. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I get to spend a little bit more time maybe with some family that I haven't spent. Stay with them until some things get back, put back in place, right? You see, when you have a life in Christ, right, it makes a difference in just how you live. It doesn't mean that you're not concerned and you don't go through some of the emotional ups and downs, but man, you've got hope. You've got rest. You've got peace. And people cannot argue against that. They cannot argue against your experience. Matter of fact, that's the most compelling thing, by the way is Jesus in you. But I love this. They say, you know what? We can't deny what happened. Let's just threaten them and just say, hey, look, man, just stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And that's when they said, look, we've got to obey God rather than man. We can't stop speaking that which we have experienced, what we've seen and heard. But I love this, and this I'm just going to need to just kind of hold myself together. Because when they send them away, Peter and John go back to the church, maybe in a home somewhere, and they get together to share what had happened and the opportunity that God had given for them to be able to boldly witness to Jesus Christ. And while they're there, they begin to pray. Now, I love this. When they start to pray, right, you would expect, based on what they experienced there in Jerusalem, that they would have said, you know what? Um, thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to speak to the Sanhedrin today. That was a little difficult. That jail cell was a little uncomfortable. And so, Lord, as we're praying to you right now, uh, please give us another more fruitful, more comfortable place to do mission. You would have thought that they would have, they would have said, look, you know, uh, these guys make a whole lot more money than us. We are fishermen, the people in this area. Uh, we can't relate with them. They're very hard to reach. Uh, God, give us, just give, send us somewhere else where we can have a more fruitful ministry. Is that what they preached? I mean, is that what they prayed? No, when you go, I, oh, I love this. Oh, have mercy. When you go to verse 29, they say this as we enter into their prayer. Let's listen in. Verse 29 as we get ready to close. It says, Now, Lord, as they continue to pray, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all what? Boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They did not say, God, this is so uncomfortable. This is so impossible. We don't know how to reach the neighborhood here in the city of Vienna. We don't know how to do that. We may, or maybe we feel, oh, we, you know, just a higher income level. They don't sense their need. No, 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 no. The problem here was that they said, God, no, no, no. We need more boldness. The church is not intended to be in some kind of defensive posture. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16 as Peter confessed him to be Lord in Christ? And he said, on this rock, in other words, on Jesus Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is describing the church as on the offensive. The gates of hell, gates are defensive. And so Jesus is picturing his church on the, on the offensive, busting open the gates of hell to snatch people out of the kingdom of darkness. 
This is what they asked for. You put us here. I'm in this neighborhood for a reason. I'm on this job for a reason. I'm, I have this family for a reason. And so the problem is not the mission field. The problem is with me. Give me more boldness. Show me where the needs are. Did you hear what, he, what they said? Stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done among you. That was often for the purpose of meeting a need, like healing this guy. Right? There's some needs that God wants to awaken us to. And he says, pray for more boldness. He's earlier in the Gospels would say, pray for more laborers. Because what you need is me. Through the Holy Spirit. More boldness. But look how this concludes. It ends. Verses 32 on to the end of the chapter. We'll just read particularly verse 33 and 34. It says there, and with great power, the apostles. This is after they prayed for more boldness. By the way, there was a repeat of Pentecost a little bit earlier there after they prayed that prayer. The Holy Spirit descended where they were, and it shook the place where they were, where they were assembled. And it says they went out and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Some of us need the Holy Spirit to shake on our jobs. Some of us need the Holy Spirit to shake what's happening in our families and in our relationships. Some of us need the Holy Spirit to shake some things, even in our church. Amen. To give us more boldness to do what he's called us to do. But look here what it says in verse, uh, as, as we close, verse 30 Verse 33, yes. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus. With great grace, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each other as anyone had need. This is literally, if you read two chapters before in Acts chapter 2, a repeat of what happened there in Acts chapter 2. This is a repeat of Pentecost. By the way, this happens a few times, several times in the story of Acts. What's happening there? And here's the, third, here's the final thing I want to leave with you. We in these days are being called into living intentionally bold, multiplying of disciples while meeting needs. I'm going to say that again. What God is calling us to be is a movement. What Jesus started over 2,000 years ago was not merely something that was institutional. Institutions are erected for the purpose of mission. The, the, they're there to help facilitate the movement. How did the movement transpire during that time? If you go back over, and I'll just summarize it for you. If you go back over to Acts chapter 2, it ends. They're going from house to house, right? They have their corporate gathering in the temple. But if you want to give a percentage, maybe that was 20% of the Christian life that was going on then. Most of it was from house to house where they were gathering and where they were eating together. They were praying together, continuing in the apostles' doctrine. This was a movement that was not dependent on large budgets, marketing campaigns. This was people filled with the Holy Spirit wherever they were. By the way, when it says, go ye into all the world, it's not saying go over there to another country. In the original language, it's saying as you are going about life. 
make disciples. I've put people in your sphere that you need to reach. You're uniquely wired to reach them. And so they gathered together every week. And it was through their loving one another and meeting one another's needs and also meeting the needs of the community that people saw that type of loving community and said, I want that. If that is what God looks like, if God truly is love, and that's what I'm seeing manifested among this community of people, I want that. I don't know all that they believe, but when I see how kind and compassionate they are, when I see that they speak truth to power and they speak up for the least of these, when I see that they, with such boldness and conviction from an experience with Jesus, can't help but talk about this Jesus, I want that. When I see someone whose life has been changed, who's been healed and restored, I want that. If what they believe, if their doctrines produce that type of person, I want it. He's called us to be a missional disciple-making movement. I'm excited about some things that are happening right now as I see young people getting more serious about their relationship with Jesus at the Vienna Adventist Academy. I'm excited about what I'm seeing here as I've been a part of this family. People are now beginning to take this call of being a disciple-making disciple more seriously. It's exciting to see what Jesus is doing because what he wants to do is multiply disciples. Who you are in Christ, he wants to, he wants to duplicate that. And the people are actually in your sphere of influence right now. There's an amazing opportunity that we have here at Vienna, if you're new to Vienna, but if you're not uh, new to Vienna, you may have seen this catalog, which is the Grow Groups catalog. Okay? Grow Groups are just a a word that we have today that really honestly is just capturing what was happening in the movement of the New Testament church. By the way, according to what's written in the pen of inspiration, this is how this whole thing is going to end anyway. Right? Being missional community wherever you are from house to house, this is how this thing's going to wrap up. So we want to give you an opportunity to fellowship together, to be in relationship with each other. There's several different options here, but please, if you are not, ex if you're merely experiencing a wonderful worship experience once a week, you're not experiencing truly all that God has called you to as a missional movement in the body of Christ. If you want to engage with one of these girl groups, or if you want to, if you want to start one, please, we would like to help you in doing so. They actually start tomorrow. I have one. There's several others that are actually taking place right now. One of the things I'd love to see is a missional map where we actually see where they actually are located so you can see how we are actually reaching out from our Jerusalem and then our Judea and with our online reach to the ends of the world, right? Amen. Are you ready for that call to be a bold, disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you sense that calling as I do, knowing as imperfect as I am, that this is what Christ wants to do in and through me? If you do, please stand to your feet as we get ready to sing this song about Jesus Christ, who Peter said is the chief cornerstone, who the builders rejected. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. If Jesus Christ truly is who we sing about and who we say he is, but let's just not sing about him right now, but let's live a life that actually looks like Jesus because his life, his death, launched a bold disciple-making movement 2,000 years ago.
Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.